Hello, welcome to another episode of Sports Waves. I'm Paxton Ritchie here with Carl Winter. I want to give a shout out to our advisors at The Graphic for hooking us up with these awesome podcast mics. So hopefully we sound a little bit better for you guys starting this episode. We got a lot to get to. Stay tuned because we're going to have Michael Wexler of Pepperdine Men's Basketball on later in the show to talk NBA Finals. So much basketball news going on, so stay tuned for Michael Wexler. One of our favorite subjects on the show, which is the New York Jets. We love to hate the New York Jets. We make fun of them every chance that we get, and they're giving us plenty of ammunition this week. They lost their fifth straight game by double digits, and they also had an unceremonious exit with their star running back, Le'Veon Bell. Carl, what's your reaction to the latest news coming out of New York, New Jersey this week? Yeah, and this week we finally, we all picked the New York Giants to win. So just more misery for the Jets if the Giants are able to get their first win this week. And the Jets front runner for the number one pick next year. They're the one team that we've used the word tanking with. I think this early in the season with other teams firing their head coaches, you know, the seat gets hotter every week for Adam Gase. But we've also mentioned that they said they'll keep him around for the remainder of the season. But the Le'Veon Bell news is just it's just another, you know, sad thing out of the franchise because, you know, he was their one big name, you know, star player and obviously still has a lot of talent. But he, he was there for less than two years and it was just kind of a rocky relationship from the beginning. He never really got along with Gase, who didn't seem to like the signing of him anyway. So now he might be able to, you know, add to a contender somewhere but it seems like the Jets are they're looking ahead to next season we've looked at their schedule as well like where's that win going to come are the Jets actually going to win a game yeah I think there's going to be a lot of knock-knock jokes in the Jets future from week to week if you don't know what I'm talking about make sure you go to the Pepperdine graphic and read our weekly NFL picks column that we put out with the rest of our sports team it's a fantastic read. Make sure you check it out. But yeah, Le'Veon Bell, $28 million for 18 games that he appeared in as a New York Jet. That's highway robbery. And you, you could say that he didn't have an incentive to play hard. He even said Le'Veon Bell was quoted as saying he got a little complacent after signing with the Jets. But if you think Le'Veon Bell doesn't have a competitive fire anymore, you're wrong because the, the latest report is that the three teams he's considering signing with are the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Chiefs, who just so happen to be the next three teams that play the New York Jets. So he's going for that reunion, making it personal. And we've seen with the Jets, Jamal Adams really force his way out of town just a couple of months ago, was traded to the Seahawks. So the Jets have lost their, if not their best, certainly their most name brand notable player on offense and defense in the span of just a couple months. What does that say about the culture of the team that these high profile players keep wanting out? We've seen it elsewhere in like Jacksonville, for example, but what does that mean for the Jets moving forward? Yeah, and there's no doubt that Bell wants to win now. I mean, he was he was a winner in Pittsburgh and now any team that you've seen thrown around that he might go to, Dolphins, Bills and Chiefs, the Bears and the Patriots have also been in there. Like, it seems like he wants to be for a winning franchise and they mentioned there were trade talks and they couldn't even get that done. So again, a guy they paid 
paid almost $30 million. They couldn't get anything in return for him and had to just cut him. It's not a good look when, you know, a player is criticizing the team's game plan on Twitter. And then the coach is just saying, I hate that it's come to that, that guys are turning to Twitter instead of talking to me. And yet he's saying that to the media instead of bringing it up with the player himself. It's it's just not a good look for Gase or for the Jets. They're in a hole where it's going to take a lot. I mean, it's one thing to not have a lot of talent. There are teams every year that are rebuilding and don't have a lot of talent, but it's more than that in New York when they haven't really even had that competitive of a game this year. They they had the one against the Broncos where they were kind of close toward the end. And they've lost five games all by double digits. And like you mentioned, Carl, that includes a game against the Broncos who are playing with their third-string quarterback, without their top two wide receivers, and without their all-pro defensive end. So like you've said, when you look at the rest of their schedule, where do they steal a game? We're at the point where if they win a game this season, it's going to be a huge upset. I, for one, don't like their chances. One of the other biggest moments of the NFL this week, a little bit more of a tragic one, was Dak Prescott going down with a very gruesome ankle injury. Dallas Cowboys quarterback, of course, was in the news last year for his contract negotiations with the team. He does not have a contract for next year. He was in line for a pretty big payday, but all of that is kind of thrown into the question now that he's all but certain to miss the rest of the year with the injury. Carl, what do you think this means for the contract negotiation and how does it change things from the team side and the player side yeah it's it's really tragic because Dak was kind of putting that franchise on his back this year playing some of the best football of his career and such a gruesome injury obviously it's going to take a long time to recover from that's a right ankle compound fracture and dislocation um so it was tough to see him come off the field knowing that his season was definitely over and he's getting paid you know under the franchise tag this year 31 million dollars but just to have the question mark of what how is he going to come back from this you know is he ever going to be the same player um even though you know ankle injuries people can generally come back from just fine it's certainly unfortunate because he doesn't they weren't able to come to an agreement this summer and a lot of people were you know saying you know Dak is being greedy and doesn't deserve this much money, but the way he's played in these five games, he deserves every penny that he'd be offered him. He's an elite quarterback and he's played like it this year, obviously has some good weapons around him. So I'm not sure what it means exactly, but having that question mark hanging over his head of whether or not he's going to be able to come back from this is, is unfortunate. Yeah. In the past few weeks and certainly during the off season, while there was uncertainty about the contract, Some people were comparing the Cowboys unfavorably to the Washington football team who had a situation with their quarterback a few years ago, Kirk Cousins, where they could not agree on a long-term extension. They dragged him out year by year on the franchise tag until uh, they weren't eligible to give him another one, and then he ended up walking away with nothing. But in the wake of a serious injury like this to Dak Prescott, it's a little cold, but are the Cowboys almost better served going year to year for a couple of years with him at this point? That certainly might be the case. I mean, he is worth $30 million a year or something like that, but they're in a tough spot as a franchise anyway, because, you know, they haven't played that well this year outside of him. I would not be surprised if they have the same contract disputes next summer than they did this summer. Yeah. And Dak is certainly worth 30 when you look at who else is getting 30. The problem is, that uh, all the reports indicate he wants 40. He wants to be 
the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And he's certainly above average. He's certainly a proven winner, but I don't think anybody would call him the best quarterback in the NFL. And adding a long-term injury just makes it that much higher stakes to commit that kind of money to your salary cap. So it will be a very interesting thing to see play out in Dallas, no doubt under a microscope since it is America's team. But there's a lot going on in sports as well. MLB playoffs are continue to be in full swing. We, we sort of broke it down last week with Wyatt Young, our guest on last week's episode. But there are four teams left, Rays, Astros, Dodgers, and Braves, all of them playing really good baseball. Carl, what's one of the moments from the first couple rounds that you really enjoyed watching either a player or a team that broke out in a way you didn't expect i'd say the rays getting the win over the yankees to send the rays to the alcs and the rays had played well against the yankees all year but it seemed like um, everyone still had the feeling you know maybe the yankees are more talented they're hot coming into the playoffs their guys like stanton are getting hot and they're going to come out of this series and the rays played super well they have a very deep lineup and their bullpen is incredible so i was excited to see them win that series um, and get that big hit to send them on. And that just stood out for me because it was such an interesting storyline with Chapman throwing at Grasso earlier in the year. And then he gets his revenge and sends him on. And now the Rays in the driver's seat to make it back to the World Series. Yeah, obviously you get the added intrigue of the fact that Chapman did throw a pitch near Brasso's head uh, in August. There was some benches clearing between the two teams. But what is it with for as hard as Chapman throws, you know, high 90s on average and frequently into the 100s. For all of the good power hitters he faces, his kryptonite is just short, skinny guys that can barrel it. If you go back to 2016 in the World Series, Rajay Davis, two outs, two strikes, hitting a home run, ultimately couldn't win the title, but it, it prolonged the wait for Cubs fans even more. Jose Altuve ended the Yankees season last year, all five foot five of him. Uh, took Chapman deep for a walk-off home run, and and Mike Brousseau, who's a, a utility player. He's not even an everyday starter. Uh, but I think that sort of captures the ethos of the Tampa Bay Rays as well, is that nobody really has a defined role. If you look at the pitching staff, you look at the position players, everybody is so versatile. They can play so many different positions that it, it allows Rays manager Kevin Cash a lot of flexibility with uh, playing matchups and really putting guys in the best position to succeed. Yeah, the Razor are far team to watch because they don't just do it with the long ball um, which has been kind of the story of the playoffs as well you just hit more home runs than the other team and you're going to win the game um, but the Rays can come at you a lot of different ways they're you know they're a fun team to watch with Araldis Chapman it's, it's just strange I mean it, the Yankees fans as well as he's played in the regular season he's still putting up great numbers it doesn't seem like age is getting to him or anything like that I think he's 32 still throws just as hard but but he gets late into account against a guy like a smaller guy and the guy just battles and then Chapman, you know, throws one too many high fastballs and um, the Yankees fans now have to have to live with an image of his mind in their minds lingering of, you know, Chapman giving up a, a late home run to end their season the last few seasons. We'll have more on the baseball playoffs on later episodes as they progress. But now we're going to bring in our special guest to talk some basketball. So let's bring in Michael Wexler. We're 
We're here with Michael Wexler from Pepperdine Men's Basketball. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate being here. I'm really excited. First off, where, where are you at right now? You're back on campus, right? Most athletes are. Yeah, I actually live off campus um, with, with Kessler Edwards. He's my roommate. So we live in Stinky's right, right across the street. There you go. So, Michael, what NBA team did you grow up supporting? What are you, who are you a fan of? Yeah, so I'm from Minnesota. Sadly, I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves fan. I, I can't say sadly. I, uh, I rep them. I've been, my dad's been a season ticket holder since, um, since the start of the Timberwolves in Minnesota. So I think it's almost around 30 years now. So I was going to games, being carried in the little baby carriage, all that, sitting in the aisle. I, I've, done, I've done it all there. KG when I was little, that was like my favorite player of all time. Yeah, and Wax, as as a Chicago Bulls fan, I kind of feel your pain about where our franchises are at right now. Neither <laughs> got to compete in the NBA bubble in Orlando, so our uh, watching our teams ended several months ago. But with that, we also share the connection of Jimmy Butler having played for our teams, and and I wanted to bring him up just because you know with what he's accomplished now, I he had a tumultuous time in Minnesota, um, and you hear all the stories of you know, yelling at his teammates at practice. And then obviously it kind of had a sour ending. So what did you think of Jimmy Butler while he was on the Wolves and all, and all that? And uh, obviously has that changed with what he's accomplished now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of talking about that team, that Timberwolves team that we had with Jimmy Butler, Derek Rose, Taj Gibson. I mean, we had a lot of Bulls guys on the team. So I think it was fun for them to play, play together. And obviously you could tell that, I mean, we made it back to the playoffs that year and, that was awesome, especially for Minnesota. People love that. It's really cool because uh, being at Pepperdine over the summer, we usually get a lot of different NBA guys who come into the gym, and you get to just see them work and see what they're doing. And I think this was my sophomore year. Going into my sophomore year, I think, Jimmy Butler would be at the gym every morning at, like, 5 a.m. So um, me and Cole we used to go to the gym and shoot at, at that time. So sometimes we, I mean, we would see him every morning. The joke I always have with Cole is one day he went to the gym and I didn't go. And that was the day that Jimmy Butler took a picture of Cole working out and posted it on his Instagram. And I was like, that's crazy. You took my car to the gym and you let me sleep through it. So um, that's kind of like my funny Jimmy Butler story. But, you know, I love how he competes. And the whole Minnesota situation, I personally feel like it got thrown out of hand. Like, it, it I don't think it, it happened like that, honestly. I can see him being in practice, being, you know, getting on his teammates and, and pushing them to be better. But I think that the media kind of kind of ruined his relationship with the Wolves and uh, gave him almost like a bad rep for that whole year because he bounced around. Then he went from the Wolves to Philly and like now he found his home in Miami but my dad, he's a big Timberwolves fan. He's, uh, he was upset about the whole Jimmy Butler thing and um, not the biggest fan of Jimmy Butler, but he respects him. I'm a fan. I think that the media kind of ruined that, that situation. Just a highly competitive guy, and I, I appreciate that about him. I remember uh, talking to Colby about the Jimmy Butler thing at Blue and Orange Madness, and I didn't talk about both those guys being total first one in, last one out type of guys. But um, yeah. do you have any other uh, sort of NBA player interaction stories from guys that either come to Malibu or work out? Anybody else you've run into? Um, it's been – there's more people than I can even remember. I mean, Kevin Durant's been here, uh, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Chris Paul. I played open gym with JaVel McGee. That was pretty, JaVel McGee and Kenneth Reed were in our open gym a couple of years ago. That was fun. 
man, who else? There's there's more. Paul George, Blake Griffin. Man, there's there's probably a few more, but uh my other kind of good memory from that is uh Russell Westbrook was working out one time and again me and Cole were working out on the other side of the court. So we were working out at the same time as him and kind of before workouts, you know, we were we were just talking with him and he was, you know, a nice guy asking us what it's like to go to school here, just asking us normal questions. And um, it was just cool to kind of see like that very normal human interaction with someone who, who at the time is, I mean, I'm at that time I was 19 years old, like, well, when NBA players talking to me, maybe a little bit different now, but um, just very like human and normal and nice guy. So that, that was pretty cool. Well, what's it like when you're sharing a gym with an NBA player? Because I kind of think in a lot of ways that would be intimidating, where like you're, yeah. you're just trying to get your work in, but then you're like looking out of the corner of your eye and you're like, there's an MVP down there doing his thing. Like, I got to make sure I make this jumper or something like that. Does that, <laughs> does that go into your mind at all or, or do, are you just soaking it up? I think that no matter, like during your workout, you're kind of just locked in on what you're doing. I for sure appreciate, I think that we're blessed here at Pepperdine to see what, uh, what all-star caliber players go through as they work out. And um, just being able to watch and kind of learn from what they do or, or why they do things. And then when you work out on your own and, and you kind of, you're with an NBA player, you kind of get the feeling like, you know, we're both getting after it together. Like, I, I'm, I might even try to get here before him next time and work out longer. Like, it's almost a competition. Uh, I think because these guys have, have made it to that level that uh, most people are trying to reach and it's kind of a competition to see like who, who's going to get more work in for the day. Did you play against Farid and, and JaVale in an open gym? Was it kind of just like, you know, a pickup game, like King of the court or you were just there at the same time? No. So they, it was a Pepperdine open gym. I think it might have been our freshman year. I can't remember. It was our freshman or sophomore year. And um, they hopped in on our team. So uh, JaVel McGee was on my team. He, I think Kenneth Reed was on the other team. Like, first after the initial shock, like, yo, what are these guys doing here? They're coming to our open gym. But then it was funny because you really get to see, like, how skilled some of these guys are. Um, JaVel was shooting threes and like making some of them, you know, you're never going to see that in an NBA game. But also I remember he was, it was a kind of like a fast break and he was ahead and I really just like threw the ball at the, threw the ball at the backboard. And like, he was so big, crazy lob, caught it, dunked it. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. Let's just talk about the NBA finals real quick. Cause I know you're obviously you're from Minnesota, but you've been, in LA for the past few years, you know how big of a Lakers town Los Angeles is, even though none of us are, are from LA. What were you thinking watching the finals? How did you react to how the Lakers performed, how the Heat performed? What was your just impression of the series? Yeah. Um, so I would, I've always been kind of a big LeBron fan. My mom's from Cleveland. I got the opportunity back in 2008, 2008 I think, to go to one of the LeBron camps that was in uh, Akron, Ohio. So my mom actually went to University of Akron. So we were making a trip back to Cleveland. Just so happened at the same time LeBron was having his camp. And I got to go and that was like awesome. Ever since then, he was there every day, interacting with the kids. Like it, it was really cool. And I think even before that, but ever since then, I've been a big LeBron fan. Um, I never, I wasn't mad at him when he left Cleveland. 
But the bubble for me was so fun to watch, especially being away from basketball for that long and then just getting overloaded with games. I love that. Um, the final specifically, I was coming into it as a big Laker fan. Like I wanted the Lakers to win. I wanted them to sweep, to sweep the heat, honestly. But that was, uh, for me, some of the most entertaining basketball I've seen in a while just because it was, it was a battle. Like you could see Jimmy Butler was giving everything he could. Braun was on a different level. He was trying to make, his, make it known that he's the best player in the world. And Anthony Davis is, I mean, he's, he's unreal. Like I really enjoyed every game. And uh, so I want to get into coaching and the different uh, offenses and the different like strategy that they, they tried to come with every game was cool. Like I liked how the Heat played zone a lot of the playoffs and then obviously couldn't do that against the Lakers, but it was really fun to watch. So you, you talk about wanting to go into coaching and obviously that, that makes you watch the game a totally different way. So when you're watching the bubble, did the basketball seem different to you? Because it was certainly higher scoring. And it's a little bit of a different mindset. It's almost like travel ball where it's a neutral court. Everybody's staying at the same hotel type of thing. Uh, so did the basketball look any different to you or, or was it just the same NBA? I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, these guys get paid to play basketball. So they're out there doing, doing their job. And a lot of guys were really excited to get back out there. And you could, you could kind of tell there was like a new life behind the, a lot of the players, it seemed like. I'd say the biggest example of that was Damian Lillard and all his post-game uh, press conferences. I mean, you could just tell he was locked in on winning. That was, he said, I'm in the bubble, you know, I'm sacrificing my outside life for this. I really respected that for a lot of those guys. That's not an easy thing to do. I appreciated them going into the bubble for that, for real. But just back to the Lakers and coaching for a second, obviously this, this title run kind of validated the addition of Anthony Davis. This is his first like deep playoff run after they didn't make the playoffs last year, but also Frank Vogel. People thought, you know, he might get fired after not making the playoffs last year and just expecting them to replace him with his assistant, Jason Kidd. What'd you like to see most from those guys kind of validating themselves being in LA, LeBron, AD and, and Frank Vogel? They, they came into the season talking about winning a championship and they did exactly what they needed to, to get that done. I think it was also a big, a big thing about once Kobe died, it became, obviously they wanted to win the championship from, from the beginning, but having that extra like motivation or, or something to kind of back the, the championship run, I think that was something that helped them all out as a team. And obviously LeBron and Anthony Davis being so close and Kuz being so close to, uh, to Kobe and kind of having, I don't know if you would call it a mentorship, but they brought it all together with that. As, as far as coaching, I think it's hard for any coach to come into a position where they have, you know, a couple of the greatest basketball players in the world. Because at the end of the day, as an NBA coach, you can put together different philosophies, different plans. And to be successful, you need your players to buy in. But when you have, you know, LeBron and AD, at, at some point, like those guys are going to take charge. And I think as a coach, you have to have a good hand on that and like know your leadership role isn't necessarily going to be to, you know, drive guys. You're going to put your ideas out there and describe to them why they're going to work. And at that point, it's kind of like hands off, you know, let my stars take over. So I think that they had a great culture. Obviously, I don't know what, what goes on in the background of the Lakers meetings or the team meetings, anything like that. but from from what it seems like after their championship run it it looks pretty awesome to me 
So, Michael, I know you said you're a LeBron guy and awesome. You got to go to his camp and spend time with him as a kid. But what was your impression of Kobe growing up and, and kind of what was going through your mind when obviously that shocking event happened really close to us? I mean, Carl, Carl shared this before, but he actually got to go cover and he was on the scene of the helicopter crash. Yeah, uh, where it happened. So just being that close to the middle of everything and seeing this town sort of rally around Kobe, just kind of talk about that a little bit, what that was like as a basketball player. Yeah. So well, when I was growing up, when I was really young, I didn't, I don't think I recognized how Kobe operated and how great he was. I don't think that I really realized that until I was probably like mm, 10 or 11 years old. And at that point, like I, I started to become really focused on basketball and that was my love, my drive. And um, at that point I started to learn more about how Kobe was driven and his mindset. And I, I loved it. Like I tried to soak in as much as I could. So I would never say that I was like an anti Kobe fan, but I don't think that I appreciated his greatness until I was a little bit older. With that being said, you know, i watched his movie many times, like I've read his book. And just as I grew up more and more in basketball, it's a, it's a weird thing with Kobe. You, you almost feel like you know him just from hearing his story and, and following his career. But you never, like I've never met him, any, never been in the same room as him. You know, I've seen him play, but nothing other than that. And uh, I felt like I, I had a relationship with him um, just because, you know, he, he was great in his mindset of, you know, how he was able to manipulate his mind and just become obsessed with the game was uh, something I, I really value and, like, appreciate the ability to learn from him. As far as that tragic event, I can, like, I can remember that day so clearly. It, it's weird. It's, it's something that I'll never forget because I got a text from my AAU coach and he texted me, he was like, hey, uh, have you heard about Kobe? And I, at the time, I responded, I was like, no. Like, I called him, I said, what are you talking about? Like, what's going on? And he said, oh yeah, like, go check Twitter. Uh, he just got in a helicopter crash, is this real? Because at the time it leaked from, who did it leak from, do you guys yeah. know? TMZ. Yeah, from TMZ, right? So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know it was real. I thought, you know, someone was playing a joke. I didn't believe it. So I just kind of kept carrying on with my day. And um, about 20 minutes later, I was actually, I was leaving my house at Stinky's to go to, uh, to go through the canyon, to go to like LA area. And um, I'm driving through the canyon and the canyon's just backed up. So this is like 20 minutes after it leaked and everything just stopped. And I was like, what, what the heck is going on? So I'm just waiting in traffic. Uh, about 10 minutes later, I make it up to like the front cutoff, which was right um, in the neighborhoods, like right before the, your, you could, your last left you could take was uh, the neighborhoods after Lost Hills. So I turn and some, some girl like pulls up next to me, rolls down her window. She's like, hey, did you hear about like some basketball player dying? And I was like, like, what are these people talking about? Like, what's going on? So I follow the road and um, all these like news trucks, hella people are just getting out of their cars and um, parking on the side of the road and like running out. And I was like, okay, like this, this might, this might be it. Like Kobe might actually, this might be real. So I pulled over, got out of my car and I looked and I could see the smoke from the, 
from the uh, the mountains from the hills and like some I, I don't remember what newscaster but um some some guy with a camera was standing next to me and he was like yeah it's right there like that's right where the helicopter crashed and I like couldn't believe it I, I stood there for like five minutes just like in silence didn't know what was going on and um I had to leave because I walked back in my car and I just like broke down like I've never I don't know what it was but I've never felt like that that strong of, of an emotion and just started like crying broke down I couldn't drive because I was just I was a mess I called my parents and talked to them for like 10 or 15 minutes and it was just the craziest thing because the fact that I never knew knew him never met him but the impact that he had on me and obviously so many other people's was just it was just so strong that I mean he's he's basketball he's a basketball god to me like his impact on the game was was life changing and I, I've never felt those type of emotions before especially for someone that I that I didn't know so it was crazy it was a crazy day yeah having been there that day I can like imagine the scene kind of like you're describing it and and I got there a little bit later once I knew exactly what had happened and it was like I think our staff writer Kyle McCabe kind of described it like the only thing you could describe it a bunch of people walking into a game from like parking lots because there were so many people there wearing basketball jerseys wearing Kobe jerseys just to kind of be there and pay their respects at the site was just incredible like I'd never seen an outpouring of support like that when something had just happened it hadn't even been confirmed yet that that's what happened and then just talking to people afterward and people who, you know, lifelong Laker fans, but just lifelong basketball fans like yourself, like the love that people had for Kobe and just kind of what he stood for and his work ethic was, you know, it was unmatched. And you're not the first one who said like, I feel like I invited Kobe into my life and into my home, even though I never met him. Other people, even that have grown up in Southern California or not, just the legacy that he left will be carried on. I mean, there are so many people at Pepperdine and beyond who list their favorite player as Kobe Bryant, even if, you know, they're not from LA, they're not Laker fans. Some of them aren't even basketball players. I, I talked to Austin Wilmot from men's volleyball about it. And he's like, he's the reason that I played basketball and still play volleyball because the competitive spirit um, and watching him, you know, for us, it's, it's less of like the, early 2000s with Shaq and it's more of like coming back to win the 2009 finals after losing to the Celtics in 2008 or his final game scoring 60 even though he's exhausted and you know at the tail end of his career um, everyone's got a Kobe story it feels like whether or not you're a big Laker fan I mean I have no love for the Lakers I'm from Northern California but uh, can respect Kobe and everything that he meant for them and winning this title means that much more and the title that that brings them even with the Celtics for most titles. Yeah, absolutely. He was uh, one of a kind. He for sure changed the basketball world. People who are big sports fans like all of us, you know, we know the five rings and we know what 81 means and what 60 means. But for people who barely cared about sports, Mamba mentality was still a real thing. And that's what Kobe was doing after he retired is he was he was applying that to books, to movies, to he, he was constantly trying to learn you know, other skills and, and he impacted, you know, people outside the sports industry. So that's why it was, it was really just like a transcendent loss that affected everybody, you know, like there lots of, lots of sports players pass away sometimes of old age, sometimes not. And people who aren't sports fans, you have to tell them who they are, but 
you, you didn't have to tell anybody who Kobe Bryant was. Yeah, yeah, Kobe's impact was more than basketball, for sure. Absolutely. We've got a few more minutes, so let's just switch gears and talk about your season for a little bit because it just got announced. Yeah. Uh, you guys are, are having an all-conference schedule starting late December, right? When's your first game? Um, so we're still trying to figure out the non-conference part, but we're supposed to start somewhere around uh, the end of November is our actual games. And then, yeah, conference starts with BYU December 31st. And we just had our first practice yesterday. So you guys are going to play non-conference games? Because I saw the schedule announcement that just had WCC, and I thought that's all you were doing, like with travel restrictions and stuff. But you guys are going to play. Yeah, yeah, we should have a a full season. I think, uh, I want to say 27 games. Ah, Yeah, but a full season. What's the process been like getting ready for this one? Because obviously until recently, you didn't know if it was going to start on time or start at all. So now that you've got that date circled on the calendar, you can kind of lock in. But was it a challenge to do so before that? Yeah, it's been crazy. I think at first we only had, um, I want to say, eight guys on campus, maybe less than that. And they were going through workouts on the tennis courts outside, our weight room set up on the tennis courts outside. So everything was outside at the beginning for them. Off-campus people who lived in the Malibu area were able to come back, and that was kind of a a goofy thing because we came back. We took our whole week where we got got tested, had to quarantine, then had to come back for our physicals, our antibody tests, and then after that, we were finally cleared, and then a couple days after that, we got told that we can't come, come to campus anymore, so we had to leave, and then a week later, we were able to come back again, and then after that, I think there was a week that we were working out with the guys. Uh, who were living on campus. And then the next week, our whole team came back and they had to go through the whole testing process. So finally, um, midway through last week, everyone uh, who we expected to be here got cleared. Yeah, we started our first official practice yesterday, contact, first time, first time playing together in six months. And it was, it was fun. It was, it was good to be back out there. And yeah, we're really excited. We have a a great team, a lot of talent and older. First time we've been an older team in the conference. So we are, yeah, we're ready to go for sure. Yeah, I know you have to get going soon, Wex. But uh, so you guys can could be in the gym now in Firestone with no restriction. Can you play five on five or is it more just drills so far? So yeah, yesterday was the first time that we could play five on five. Uh, the gym's not open for us usually like how well, we could go in whenever. We can't use the locker room. Uh, we have to wear the masks if we're on the sideline if we're not playing it's interesting there's an adjustment but I think we're all just happy that we can finally get out there as a full team and and play and practice well I know you've got to go Michael so thank you so much for coming and talking to us it was a pleasure it was fun got a lot of different topics in so appreciate you joining no thanks for having me that was that was a lot of fun I really appreciate it For more info on this podcast and to hear about upcoming episodes, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at SportsWavesPod. And to keep up with the other podcasts, breaking news, and more from The Graphic, follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at PetGraphic, or visit Pepperdine-Graphic.com.